0: The book of Genesis is the story of beginnings. Within its pages, we meet Creator God, are introduced to mankind in all His glory and His shame, and get the first glimpses of the Rescuer, Jesus Christ. You're listening to a sermon series on the first four of Genesis 10 stories by Pastor Stacy Potts. The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Father, I thank you that we get to come together today now to study your word. This is what it's about. This is why we gather together on Sunday mornings because we want to hear from you. And so there's nothing, nothing special about me or any other man who's sinners. It's on you, the solid rock that all of us stand. And it is on that rock that this church is built. It is the truth of the scriptures, the t- us about that rock. So I pray, Lord, that this morning as we just look through the text, we just talk about where we've been, where we're going, what we've learned. I pray that this will be kind of a time of blessing for us just to remember and see you. Be amazed by all that we've learned in these past few months. God, you have been, uh, been so kind to us in this texts in this series, and I feel like I've grown a lot. I think that your spirit has used your word to grow many of us, and so we're thankful, I pray that our time, goes this morning will be pleasing to you. here. up a little bit here. It's uh, coming up on an important anniversary, does anyone know what it is? Any idea? So the first, it was last Sunday, excuse me, last Sunday of June last year when we started our series in Genesis. It's been almost a year now that we've been in this. No, granted, it hasn't been every Sunday. We Take time off and do this and that along the way, uh, but it's almost been a year at this point. So some of you are thinking, he's "Doing eleven chapters, is four, four, in, and it's been almost a year." This is not a good sign. Uh, I will say in my fence, this has gone quicker than either Colossians or First John. Okay, it took us more than a year to get through four chapters of those books, and so we're already doing better. And uh, as I'll talk to you about in a minute, we're actually probably about halfway done or a little over actually with this study, as you'll see here in a bit. But we're coming up on a on an important. Uh, Time for us, not important, but it's something significant. I'm feeling uh, relaxed, as you can see today. Whenever I'm relaxed, I move up a little bit to talk to you a little more uh, personally because I want to be able to have just a family conversation with you. We've been doing this each time we finish the new section, section of Genesis. I, I take a Sunday just to kind of recap where we've been, to talk through anything that was interesting to me that perhaps we didn't cover along the way just so you could hear it. You remember what I call these Sundays? Say it, Smorgasbord Sundays, right, because that's what you get on Smorgasbord, you just get a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, it all kind of comes together and it works. Uh, plus, I think it's just good for us to keep doing this along the way, Genesis is a big book, and we're covering a lot of that book, 11 chapters is a good portion of the story, and so if we don't make a practice of just stopping occasionally, coming back and saying, alright, where are we, where have we been, where are we going, we, we're going to lose sight, we're going to lose the forest with the trees, so to speak, because we won't be able to remember that, that this story is one story that, that we're taking in, in pieces just because it's it's so big here. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're just gonna we're gonna take some time to do that. I'm also relaxed for one other reason, and I say this by way of a reminder to you. This is my last Sunday preaching until July. Okay, so the next three Sundays, you've got Ed next week. Uh, Jamie and I are taking a vacation this week. So if you call or email, I'll get back to you week after. All right, love you. But you can call, email uh, Ed, George Frank, they're happy to take all your calls, answer all your questions, deal with all your problems, let them have it. They love you all very much. Um, so I'm taking this week off. I won't be preaching next Sunday, but I will be here. I'm excited to be here because I'll actually get to hear Ed make fun of me in person. I haven't had that opportunity. He does it every time he preaches, so I'm looking forward to that. And the following two Sundays I'm taking off because I'm working on some projects and all the stuff we've got going on right now, and so the guys just thought it was better for me to be relieved of my preaching duties so I can give more time to other things uh, those next two weeks after that, and so Jordan is preaching on Father's Day, Isaac is preaching the Sunday after that, so we're looking forward to those three guys over the next three weeks, and I'll be back up here first Sunday of July, and we'll be jumping back into Genesis when we do, so that's kind of the plan, so you know where we're at, where we're going, let's talk about three things this morning, okay, and I've asked you to turn to Luke 24, you might as well put your bulletin in it, because it's going to be a few minutes until we get there, so you know, let's quickly begin by recapping where we've been, And as I said, I want to keep doing this for you because I don't want you to lose where we're at and what the significance of each of these stories are. So it's helpful just to remember, and put it all together one more time. Remember the structure of Genesis. It's prologue followed by how many stories? Ten. Ten stories, okay? In Genesis, each story begins with a special word called Toledote. Remember that? The ten Toledotes of Genesis. So these are the account of, these are the generations of, something like that. And so, so far, we've covered the prologue of the book, which we call the creation story. And we've covered toledo number one, the very first story, which is the story of the heavens and the earth. And in that prologue section, we learned that it's not just an exciting story about creation versus evolution, right? You remember that? We talked about that's not really the point at all. That in that opening story, the prologue of Genesis, what we see here is God... Working in certain ways to teach us something about Himself. And you remember how many ways we looked at that God works in that section? Please say you do. spent a lot of time on it. What it was seven. That was not significant, that just happened to have failed. Seven ways that you see God working in that section there in Genesis to show us about Himself. Number one, that He worked through process and progress. You remember that? God, uh, people often want to say, well, are you sure that God could really just make the world in seven days? Didn't it take millions of years? And I said, the real question is, why did it take seven days? That doesn't make any sense. He could have done it in a moment if he had wanted to. The fact that he chose not to is obviously on purpose. It's teaching us something about himself. That this is how he works through process and progress. And every one of you in here, myself included, who are believers in Jesus Christ. We recognize this truth, do we not? Because the moment we got saved, he didn't instantly zap sin out of our lives. He's working through process and progress to make us more like Christ. And so we saw that there. We saw that he works through division and distinction, that he draws lines and separates. He sees things and categories and works in those ways. We, we talked about that there. He works directly and indirectly sometimes. He spoke things into existence other times. He caused other things to, to bring stuff into existence. We saw that he works through authority and submission making things to rule over other things. We saw that he works through unity and harmony because he wants all things to be together in his plan. We saw that he works through speaking and instructing. God's words are powerful. They are the vehicle through which creation occurs. We see that all throughout the story. But then the most significant of them all, in my mind, was number seven, that God works to completion and perfection. Because you got this pesky little thing of day seven there in the creation story. Remember that? Say pesky. Why is it pesky? Why does God have to rest? Tired? No, he's not tired. He's resting here to show us the completion of his work. And I think he's also resting to show us what his overall plan for the world really is. That one day it will all be brought to a perfect completion and a perfect (coughs) rest at some point in the future. And so in all these things we see God working in all these various ways in order to bring that which was dead and lifeless, formless and void, it said in Genesis 1-2, to abundant life. And again, think about yourself. Is that not what God has done in each and every one of us who claim Christ as our Savior? To take that which was dead spiritually and to bring it to abundant life by his own sovereign plan. I think when we look at that prologue, that creation story, Genesis 1, 1, 2, 3. We're not simply looking at a a historical account of how the world was made, though I do think it is that as well. I think ultimately what he's doing is he's giving us a theology of God. (coughs) Understand who this God is that has made us and what he's doing in this world. This is what we learn. So we finish that up, and we enter the first story, okay, Toledo 1, the story of the heavens and the earth. And this story is different than all the other stories. Do you remember why? Because all the other stories, all of them nine, are dealing with a person. A man and his family, a man and his descendants, or what happens to this individual. But this first story isn't focused on a man. This first story is focused on the heavens and the earth. In other words, what happened to that perfect world that God made back in Genesis 1? Because I'm not the, the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree, but I know that things aren't the same today as they were then how did we get from that to this? That's what this first story that we've been working on now for months has been explaining to us. Moses has been trying to lay out this case for for how we got from there to here. And I told you that story was told in three scenes. You remember that? Scene one, chapter two, verse four, through the end of the chapter. And in that story, we get a more detailed explanation of the creation of man. I'm going to see if you remember my made-up word. You ready? I said that chapter two is not a prequel. It's not a sequel. It's a what? An in-betweenquel. between Okay. It's taking us back into chapter one and expanding on what's said there about the creation of man. It's just filling in the rest of the story for us because Moses wants us to understand wants us to understand some things about man, and so he shows us in that chapter that God made man both male and female. You remember this paragraph. With the spiritual capacity, moral responsibility, and communal assistance necessary to serve God and keep his commands so that they could enjoy abundant life in his creation. He made man in his image, spiritual capacity. He gave him things that he must do and must not do, moral responsibility. And he made them male and female, husband and wife, in his image. okay? Communal assistance. All of this so they can enjoy this creation that God had made. But then you turn to scene 2, chapter 3, verse 1, and what's happening? Rebellion. Those first six verses, remember, you see man completely rebel against every single aspect of what God had made him to be. It's not just that he ate the fruit. Do we emphasize that enough? I'll emphasize it again. It's not just that he ate the fruit. Don't worry about the fruit. The fruit's a part of the story, but it's not the focus of the story. Man completely rebelled against everything. And so Satan's temptation to him is so that he can be like what? Eat this so that you can be like God. Knowing good and evil is the problem. They're already like God. They're made in his image, in his likeness. And so by desiring this knowledge that the serpent is offering, they're saying to God, your image is not enough. I want more. And they reject it and rebel against it. They do not work and keep the garden. They don't protect it from the serpent. They do eat the fruit. They violate the command, the one and only negative command that God gave them. And they violate the communal assistance because Eve is certainly not Adam's helper in presenting it to him. And Adam is certainly not leading and showing any responsibility by allowing it. So in every single way, they violate every aspect of how God had made them, and thus rebel against God's lordship. They wanted to be Lord themselves. Remember us talking about that? They wanted to be Lord. So they eat. And verse 7 comes. Their eyes are open. And they realize not that they are like God. But that they're they to what they really are. God comes on the scene and he reveals their sin. He forces them to confess. And in that you see the ugliness of what sin is already beginning to do in their relationship. And all through then the rest of of chapter 3 we see God's pronouncement against them. Against what is going to come now to this world because of their sin. Whereas before they had rest now they will have pain. Pain in their respective realms. Each of them Eve with with the whole realm of reproduction, Adam with the whole realm of producing food to eat. Both of them now will live lives of pain, whereas before they had harmony, now they will have conflict. God himself says that from this point forward there will be constant conflict between the forces of good and evil, each side striking blows against the other, and whereas before they were made to enjoy abundant life, now they have promised death. From the dust you were made, the dust you will return. Over. Death is now their future. This is the pronouncement that God makes about what this new world of sin will look like. But the beautiful truth in there was it wasn't all retribution, right? There was redemption, next thing as well. There's mercy, there's grace, as God makes promises to them even the promise of offspring that life will continue on this earth and that his plan is not ended. So we move from there into chapter 4 the section that we just ended and we called it a tale of twos. You're most familiar with this one. It's probably precious in your memory. And the question in chapter 4 is why? Why is Moses including this information? Well, he's not yet done showing us how we got from that perfect world in chapter 1 to where we are today. He's explaining how God made us. Playing what happened and God's pronouncement against it, but now he wants us to understand man again. So he gives us two stories. They're, they're very similar in the way they're put forward. The first tells us the story of two kinds of people, two kinds of individuals, pain and Abel.
1: One believes that
0: God is who he says he is, and therefore he acts accordingly. One does not, and therefore he acts accordingly we see what happens as these two individuals are there and God accepts Abel and rejects Cain. Cain rises up in anger and kills Abel, but his problem isn't with Abel, right? His problem is with God. And so here we see the beginnings of what will always be. The the wicked rising up against the righteous. It's always going to be like this, that the people who hate God persecute those who love him. And from there he Transitions us to that last section where we see the tale of two kinds of peoples, remember? Because it's not just about the person, it's about what comes afterwards. So we see Cain's line carried out seven generations. Remember all of that now, last Sunday? That we see a civilization come from Cain that is advanced, prosperous, uh, cultured, and godless. Completely godless. No mention of him, no reference to him, living life under their own authority and power and from the outside looking great. That's how you see them. And in contrast to that, we see the people of Seth, who, last statement of chapter 4, call upon the name of the Lord. And it's those two people groups that will characterize all humanity for the rest of time. Either you will be someone who is the people of the Lord or you won't be. It's just that simple. And what I said to you last time, I hope you remembered. I'm going to say it again, just in case you weren't here, you didn't remember it, because it's critical. Is the last section of chapter three, excuse me, chapter four, which sets the stage for everything else you read in the Bible. That's how critical that section is, because from that moment forth, from chapter five, when we come back in July, from chapter five to the end of Revelation. What we are going to see is the unfolding of God's plan to work in individual hearts to build a people for himself. Because God will always have a people. That's his plan from this moment forward. He will always have a people to himself. And we're going to see that plan unfold throughout the rest of the scripture. So that's where we've been, okay? Put it all back together. Now we understand how we got from that perfect world. Where are we all today? We've seen all the things that Moses has told us, and, and we're aware. Okay, We know that the story's going to build, but we're at least aware of what happened. Now, where are we headed next? That's one story. We've got four left to go. And you think, oh man, that's a lot. But let me quickly give you a preview of what's to come. When we come back in July, we're going to look at the next story, which is the story of Adam's life. And that takes us from chapter 5, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 8. We're going to cover that whole story in one maybe two sermons. It's genealogy. And I keep telling you that because I don't want you to not come, alright? I want you to come for genealogy. It's going to be awesome, alright? I hope. Anyway, so it's important though. It's important because Moses is going to use this story to bridge the gap between Seth and Noah. We've got to advance the story on. But in that section he's going to explain to us what was happening in the world that is ultimately going to lead God to destroy it all. So it's critical. It's a critical bridge between between what we've seen and where we're headed here and it's it's really brief, it's really quick, we're going to hit it, but it's important. You've got to be here and hear how that works in order to understand the next story well. The next story is the one you all know, the story of Noah's flood, okay? How we normally refer to it. And that one goes all the way from chapter 6 verse 9 to chapter 9 verse 29. And again, you think, well that's a long section. We're going to cover that much quicker than you think. Because there's a lot of details given that we'll cover in large sections, because ultimately the point that we're going to be getting at this is not God's judgment. Because we've seen a lot about God, we've seen His pronouncement against sin, but we haven't really addressed the issue of judgment yet. And this is going to be a critical component throughout the rest of the scriptures, and we're going to see the first big example of it there, so I'm excited to get to that. Uh, Number four, story of Noah's sons. That goes from 10 1 to 11-9. Another genealogy chapter. This is going to get us from Noah to the nations of the world. And then finally, we'll get to the fifth story which is uh, chapter 11, verses 10-26 to of Shem's line. Uh, more genealogy. That's going to take us from Shem to Abraham. And that's again important. In fact, the word Semitic if you're familiar with this word, comes from Shem's name. Okay? Someone who's a descendant of Shem. Semitic person. And so we're going to understand the origin of these people so that we can get to Abraham and we won't get that far. We'll stop there. So that's where we've been. That's where we're going. Okay? So you know there's a plan. You know how it's progressing. I wanted you just to see it all. Now, I want to take the whole rest of our time and just talk with you very personally about three things that have amazed me so far in the study of Genesis. And I, I, I really I don't ever want you to say things to me because you just think it makes me happy to hear it, but I love when you guys come up and say, you know what, I never understood this, or right? The Lord has just impressed this on me through this passage. I have that same experience all the time, and particularly in Genesis, which is a book that I've read a lot over the years since I've been a Christian. I feel like I never even knew it until I started studying it this time. This has just been... An amazing experience, and I hope you've been amazed by things as well. But there are three things as I thought about them over the past week that I wanted to emphasize today. Number one was that the scriptures have amazed me. And I'm not saying that tridently there because I feel like I have to, I really mean it. But I have been amazed by the scriptures new through this time of Genesis. I'm amazed by the consistency of God's truth that what you see in Genesis 1-4 through about God is going to be true about God in Exodus, Leviticus, Joshua, and Chronicles, and Isaiah, and Matthew, and Romans, and all the way to the end. It's the same truth. And and this is particularly true, and I'll talk about this probably again in just a moment, this is particularly true in relation to something we talked about our very first Sunday, June 26, 2011, okay? Very first Sunday we opened our Old Testament to try to begin understanding this, I address the issue that there are people out there who think that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament because one of the Old Testament is angry and wrathful and he's killing people, and one of the New Testament is loving and he sends Jesus because he wants to have mercy on people and he can't be the same God. And I told you back then, that's a lie, they are the same God. And all we've seen in Genesis 1-4, through just so you know, is God's mercy and love. Yes, he pronounces against sin. He has to. He's also a God of justice, holiness, but we see his mercy, and it's so consistently presented to us throughout the scriptures. Genesis has reminded me of that again. I've also been amazed at the consistency of the story. Uh, there's a fancy word you want, it's called the narrative, The grand storyline of scripture. That what we see open up for us in Genesis is consistently presented to us as the main story all the way to the end of Revelation. And you just have to think back through all of the the correlations we've seen from throughout the scriptures of how the the truths presented here, they're all addressed continuously to the end. And we'll we'll address that more in a moment, but I love that. And number three, I've really been impressed, and I hope it's okay to say this, I've really been impressed with the great skill of Moses as a writer. Now I understand he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit, but so the Spirit works through individuals, through their unique personalities and gifts yes, to write the Scriptures. Okay? That's our understanding of inspiration. And you see Moses as a very skilled author here in this story. He's not just including details that have no purpose. He's including and structuring details that get across clear points once you know what you're looking for. And so we see these things are not haphazardly placed in the story. They're there for our benefit, so that we can see them and understand God better as a result. So I've been amazed by the scriptures. Number two, I've been amazed by God's character throughout Genesis. First of all, his sovereignty. Because we can never forget in any of this that God is in control of all things. Start to finish. His plan is established. Nothing alters it. There is no enemy of God that can support what he's doing. And so in all of these ways, we've seen God working. He's not surprised by the events that have occurred. He, he knows where he's going. Christ is still the land that was slain before the foundation of the world. It will be complete when all is said and done. His sovereign plan is in motion. And as I mentioned a moment ago, I've been amazed by his mercy and love doesn't treat us the way we deserve. Because I don't know about you, but if I was God, and I'm there looking down on Genesis 3, 1 through 6, and I see the two creatures that I made completely rebelling against every single aspect of what I made them to be, lightning, Boom. And we're done. Fire. And we're starting over. I I would not wait for a flood to come and kill all the people of the world minus this one family. I, I would have wiped them out right then. Yet God is not like man. His plan is not thwarted by anything. You see his mercy, love, and grace clearly on display, which then, of course, leads us to the third thing, where I want to spend the last of our time. I've been amazed by Christ. in Genesis. Because it's all about him. Which is why I asked you to turn to Luke 24. So get your Bibles out now. I'm going to put it on the screen if you don't have one, but I'd like you to look at your own Bible when you have it with you. This is a passage of scripture that we read our second Sunday in Genesis, okay? First Sunday in Genesis, I addressed some general questions about the Old Testament. I came back to that the second Sunday that we were working in this and just said, how do we understand the Old Testament? How are we going to understand Genesis? Through the lens of Jesus. And I took you to two passages in that message. I'm going to take you back to both of them today as a reminder. But look at Luke 24. This is after the crucifixion. Two disciples are on their way to a town called Emmaus, and someone is going to join them on the road. So that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, the death and reported resurrection of Christ. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, "What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk?" They stood still looking sad, and one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Which I still love that question. What things happened? It was just me on the cross, but what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory, beginning with Moses and all the prophets and interpreted to them in all the scriptures of things concerning himself? Again, I emphasized it that time. I've done it one time since. Let me reemphasize it today. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He starts with Moses, Genesis, and he goes throughout the entire Old Testament and he interprets to them everything concerning himself. Would you not have loved to have been on that road listening to that conversation? He opens their eyes to a right understanding of the Old Testament and the right understanding of the Old Testament is him. It's about me, he says. It's all written about me show you how the Father has loved you enough to send His Son to die on the cross to endure all those things that just happened in Jerusalem. For your salvation, it's about me, He says. And so for us, as we've been working through Genesis, we cannot simply look at this as an interesting set of Old Testament stories that have no value outside of that. We can't simply look at them as myths or fables. That's not why they were written. God had these words penned so that you and I would understand Christ better as a result. The second passage I wanted you to see was John chapter 5. And you don't have to turn there, but you can if you want to. It's, it's fairly short. Jesus is having a friendly disagreement, we'll call it, with the Pharisees. Okay, I don't know how friendly it was, but I'm going to call it a friendly disagreement with them. And he's explaining some things to them because clearly they don't understand what they think they understand. So I'm going to pick it up, John 5, verse 37. Jesus is talking. He says, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about things. He's concerned that they understand who he is. So the Father has borne witness. He's testified about Jesus. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, that would have hurt them. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Why? Because there's another person who's going to accuse you. It's Moses on whom you set your hope. For if you believed Moses, look at this, you would believe me. Why? He wrote of me. If you don't believe his writings. How do you believe my words? Again, he's making it clear to them these words that Moses wrote in the law are not just about the law, they're about me. The story is about me. And so in, in, in Genesis, we have to be constantly looking for Christ to see who he is and what God is doing with him. And I'm not saying I've done that well. I'm not even saying I've done a partially good job. But as I stop and I think back over these passages, these verses, these stories that we've read, I know that I have been amazed at Christ. That God has orchestrated all these events, even, even to providing a covering for Adam and Eve there in chapter 3. It's like, I think it's my favorite part of the chapter. Three. He covers them. It's consistent, it's how God operates. And it's something that will ultimately be fulfilled. Jesus. And so it's made me appreciate my salvation even more. That that sending Christ to the cross wasn't plan B. It it wasn't his response to a mistake in the plan. It wasn't him trying to figure out how to make the best of a bad situation because Adam and Eve had had blown what he had created. No. That's not what's going on. Jesus was always plan A. Cross was always Plan A. When we get to the New Testament, we realize that even even in Genesis, we heard His voice. Remember that, right? Think about the beginning of John. In fact, turn there. Look at John one real quick. We're almost done. Look at the very first verse of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God, look at verse 3, all things were made through him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That means that in Genesis 1, you heard his voice. The voice said, let there be light, that was Jesus talking. All throughout the conversations we've been reading is Christ. So he is center of all. And we've been reminded of that over over again. He's the author of creation. He's the author of our salvation. So all the glory goes to him. I hope that you have benefited so far from our study of Genesis. I am looking forward to the second half of this study. Um, again, I think it'll go pretty quick in the end. Uh, so we've got to start thinking ahead of what's coming next. But Don't forget where we've been. Understand where we're going. And let's keep Christ at the center of all of this. Okay? Heavenly Father, we just wanted to come together today to be reminded of what all of this is about. It's so easy for us to get focused on the details of the story, and it's good and right for us to do that in many respects. But Lord, ultimately, this is about your grand story of the cross. Of the gospel, sending your son and having him die for our sins, so that he could be buried, could rise again the next third day. Lord, help us to keep Christ as the central focus of all of our thinking as we go through this passage as we continue working through Genesis beginning to July. Lord, you have been kind to us and have taught us many things. So, Lord, we come to you this morning. And we just confess again our great need of you there will never come a day when we will have learned enough, grown enough, changed enough in this life. That we will never need to stop and humble ourselves underneath the truth of your word. So I pray, Father, that you continue to build us and grow us through the scriptures through Christ. I pray for Ed and Jordan and Isaac over the next three weeks to take their words, make them clearly focused on the text, clearly focused on Christ and to change our hearts through that. It doesn't matter the man that's up here. It matters only the truth proclaimed. proclaim. So, Lord, we come today and we give you the honor Lord for all these things. We thank you for your word and we thank you for how you have used it in our lives. We love you, Father.